Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. week two of a series that we kicked off last week called Goliath Must Fall. Now here's what I need you to know. This series is going to be building on itself as we move forward. And so if you weren't here last week, you need to hear last week for this week to make complete and total sense. So if you weren't here last week, let me give you a few like preliminary instructions. First of all, you need to take lots of notes this morning. You need to be writing lots of stuff down. And then you need to go back and listen to or watch online last week's message and then get your notes out from this week. And as you get your notes out, you're going to go, oh, this makes a lot of sense now. Okay, now I'm learning um, exactly what it is that he was talking about. Because one of the things that we discovered last week was something that's so counterintuitive to what we know and understand about the story of David and Goliath, which is where we're parked at throughout the course of this series. And what we talked about last week was this reality that David, in fact, wasn't as much of an underdog as we like to make him out to be. And Goliath had a few more disadvantages than we notice originally when we read the story. And actually, when we go back and you look at the story and you understand the context of history and where we find the story written, you begin to realize and understand that David had full and complete confidence in what he was doing and where he was going and how he was going to operate. And he, without any doubt in his mind, knew he was going to be victorious because he knew in that fight he wasn't the underdog because God had been working in him. God had been working through him. God had been preparing him. God had been shaping him for such a time as this. And so when he stepped out on that battlefield, he knew he wasn't coming with the strength of a spear. He wasn't coming with the strength of a sword. He was coming with the strength of God Almighty, the creator of all things, who had been preparing him for years for this very moment. And so David was ready to do exactly what it was that God had called him to do. And the way that we equated that to our lives was this reality that all too often we look at the giants that we face. We look at the circumstances we face. We look at the difficulties that we have to overcome and we say man those are huge those are those are way bigger than we have the capacity or the power or the ability to overcome and the truth of the matter is you're right they are but they're not when you are walking with a secret weapon whose name is Jesus who has already overcome death hell and the grave and overcome any circumstance that you will ever face and so when you walk into the circumstances in your life that seem bigger than you you can walk with boldness too no Knowing that you're not walking in your strength, you're walking in his strength. You're not walking in your preparation, you're walking in his preparation. And in fact, the giants that you face in your life don't declare you the underdog. In fact, they are the underdog because of who you're going with. And man, that's a powerful thing to cling to. That's a powerful thing to hold on to. And some of you are going, I don't really get that because you weren't here last week. Go back and listen to last week's message and everything will begin to click and everything will begin to make sense. But this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a, take a look throughout the entire course of our time together. And I, I don't have very much of it because we took some time to pray. But I want to take some time and look at one single characteristic, one single characteristic in David's life. 
which if it's a characteristic which is exhibited in our life, will change the way we face difficulties, will change the way we face frustrations, will change the way we face difficult circumstances. And it's not just a paradigm shift. It's not just a changing your way of thinking. It's something that David exhibited and it wasn't just because he told himself to. It was something that he had full faith in. And it's a word that you and I struggle with on a daily basis. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this word down. It's the word confidence. David never, ever, ever struggled with confidence. If you go back and look at the text, you'll see that when David was was protecting his sheep, he had confidence that he could protect those sheep. When David went onto the battlefield to face Goliath, he had confidence that he was going to take down the giant. When David um, was, was, was being chased after by a crazy king, he had confidence knowing that he was going to overcome those situations. David was a very confident person. But you and I, in our culture, And in the season that we find ourselves in, in this time in history, we're not very confident people, are we? I mean, let's be honest. If I ask you how confident you are in the government, well, not very, right? How, 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 confident, how confident are you in, 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 in the, 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 the ability of your house to withstand a hurricane? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Depends on how strong the hurricane is. But there's always that, that seed of doubt, right? How confident are you that your kids are going to grow up and not let you down and not make mistakes and be the kids that you hoped that they would be? right? See, there's this word confidence is one that we don't exude in many areas of our life because the truth of the matter is in our culture, we're not very confident in a lot of things because a lot of things have let us down along the way. Family has let us down along the way. Government has let us down along the way. Finances have let us down along the way. If you experience 2007, then you know you can't be confident in our financial system, right? You can't be confident that your house is your nest egg and you're going to be able to always put your hope and how much that house is worth. You can't be confident in really anything because those things have let you down. And we've replaced the word confidence with another word that starts with a C. And you need to write this one down too because it's my generation's big word. It's one we lean on. It's one we cling to. It's one we hold on to. And it's one we exhibit in just about every conversation that we have. And it's the word cynicism. We're not confident anymore. We're cynical about life. We laugh at presidential elections because we're cynical about how much it's going to affect our life. We laugh at people who are saving everything in the stock market because we know it's just going to fall apart. We laugh at people who try to have serious conversations. And if you have ever parented a teenager, you have seen cynicism play out in a conversation, right? Because you're trying to have a serious conversation with your teenager about something that really matters, about something that's really important, and they laugh about it. They joke. They act like it's not a big deal because our generation and the generations after us are becoming far less confident about the realities of life and far more cynical about the realities of life. And cynicism is breeded by one thing, failure. Whenever something lets you down, you become cynical about that thing because you really only have two options. You can either be sad, depressed, frustrated, angry, or you can be cynical. And so my generation and the generations that are coming after me have just made the decision. Rather than being sad, upset, or depressed about the realities of life, we're just going to be cynical about life and just say that everything in life is whatever. Nobody's really confident about anything in life anymore. But, but you never see that characteristic, the characteristic of cynicism, play out in David's life. You certainly don't see it playing out in the story of David and Goliath. 
But David's confidence, David's lack of cynicism doesn't start when he walks out on the battlefield. It doesn't start when he, when he goes and faces the giant. It doesn't start when he goes and sees that everybody else is up on a hillside terrified to go down on the battle floor. David's confidence stems from something that took place far Earlier, It's not far earlier in the text, but it's far earlier in David's life. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, and we're going to be picking it up in chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, the story of David and Goliath takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But we're going to go back earlier to when David was even younger as a child. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to pick it up at the very beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are going to be on the screens for you. But again, if you don't have a Bible, we say this every week, please stop by our resource center. We've got Bibles there free of charge. We'd love to give you as our gift to you because we don't want you taking our word for it. We want you studying God's word for yourself. All right. First Samuel chapter 16, picking it up in verse one, the scripture says this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Now, let me give you a little bit of backstory. Samuel anointed Saul as king, and then Saul was doing basically a terrible job as king, and God basically rejected him as king over Israel. And Samuel is upset about that, and God says to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Basically, Samuel's job as a prophet of God was to anoint the king over Israel to say, this is the person that has God's blessing to be king over this nation. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul hears about it. He will kill me. Because in that time, at that particular time in history and in culture, what would happen is a king would die, a king would pass away, or a king would be very, very sick. And then a new king would be anointed by the prophet. But Saul wasn't dying and Saul wasn't sick. But Samuel was told to go and anoint a new king. And Samuel was concerned about how this would look in the eyes of Saul. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Basically saying, just chill out about it. Don't make a big deal about it. Don't roll up into town saying, we are anointing a new king. Instead, just go in there like you're making a sacrifice. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Invite his family to the sacrifice. And then kind of under the table, let him know what's coming. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And I love that particular phrase because it indicates to us the power that the prophets carried during this time. Normally when prophets arrived in your town, it was because God was chastising you for a certain behavior for not living the way that you were supposed to behave. So normally when prophets would show up, it was basically turn or burn, repent or perish. Stop doing what you're doing or God will judge you. And so when Samuel shows up, like, what do we do wrong this time? And Samuel says these words. Yes, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the anointed stands here before the Lord because of his stature, because of his presence, because of his looks. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. 
People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If there's nothing else that you take out of church with you today, you need to circle that verse, highlight that verse, cling to that verse, hold on to that verse, because there's some truth in that verse that we don't have time to unpack this morning, but it's powerful for your everyday life. The Lord doesn't look at outward circumstances. The Lord doesn't look at how much money you have. The Lord doesn't look at what position you have. The Lord looks at your heart, and he judges you based on the merits of your heart, not what you have. And scripture says this, it goes on. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. These are all of Jesse's sons. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Almost in confusion. Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, I want to pause here for just a second and point out something. That this is the moment. This is the point. This is the, 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 the place, the starting point of David's confidence. See, he wasn't confident in his ability to take down Goliath because he was big enough or strong enough or powerful enough. He wasn't confident to speak so highly of his God in the face of so much adversity when everybody else was fearful. He wasn't confident to go before the king and basically tell the king, hey, king, you're a chump because you didn't go down there and face him. But since you're not willing to do it, I will. He wasn't confident to do those things because of who he was. He was confident because of what God had promised to him earlier on in his life. When he went to fight Goliath, he wasn't fearful of fighting Goliath. He wasn't fearful of death. Why? Because just over in chapter 16, he had been promised that he would be king. Who made that promise to him? God made that promise to him. And David went out to fight Goliath, to face Goliath. And he said, I don't see a crown on my head. I don't see any jewels on my, on my robe. I must not be king yet. This must not be my day to die yet. I'm going to go in confidence because I will not lose. His confidence wasn't in his ability to overcome what he was facing. His confidence was in the promise that God had made to him earlier on in his life. And he said, this ain't my day because I'm not king yet. And I've been promised that I would be king. And he had confidence in what God had promised him early on which is why we see what takes place next in chapter 17. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to chapter 17, verse 33. And we covered a little bit of this last weekend. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 33. David has went to the battlefield and has said, I'll take on Goliath. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Saul was looking at David through the scope and through the lens of his ability. David was looking at Goliath through the scope and through the lens of God's promise to him. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. 
When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, and I love that he called him an uncircumcised Philistine. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Not because he's defied me, not because he's ticked me off, but because he's defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Not could rescue me, not might rescue me, not I'm not sure, but if it goes if it goes well, then things will be great. And if it doesn't go well, well, blessed be the name of the Lord. No, he will in fact rescue me. I'm confident of that. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Where in the world did David's confidence come from? Where in the world did David's confidence come from? It came from what took place back in chapter 16. It came from what took place earlier on. David actually writes about this confidence in Psalm 23. It's a passage that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Psalm 23, verse one, David says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, some translations word it this way, through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I face a giant who has the capacity to kill me, I will fear no evil. You ready for it? Here's the the point of confidence. For you are with me. Back in chapter 16, God made a promise to him that he would be with him, that he wouldn't leave him, that he wouldn't forsake him, and he would carry him on to be king. And David knew that that day had not yet come, so this was not his day of death. And because God was with him, he would not fear any evil, no matter how tall, no matter how strong, no matter how much armor, he wouldn't fear whatever came his way. Why? Because God was with him. Your rod and your staff, not my rod, not my staff, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, not possibly, not maybe, but surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because of who you are and because of the promises that you've made to me, I will walk confidently even in the face of adversity because I know you're with me. Confidence, and you need to write this down, confidence in God's power comes from clinging to God's promise. Confident in God's power comes from clinging to God's promise. Now, let me tell you what we've done in our culture. And this is why we're so cynical. It's because we don't root our confidence in God's power in God's promise. We root our confidence in God's power, watch this, in God's provision. In God's provision. God, as long as you're taking care of me, as long as you're working everything out, as long as you are clearing a path, as long as I am heading towards that career goal and nothing gets in my way, as long as the finances stay like they're supposed to stay, as long as you're keeping my house from flooding, as long as you're keeping every shooter out of my kid's school, as long as you're taking care of me, as long as you're providing for me, as long as you have provision over my life, I am confident in your power. But the moment that failure 
seeps in. The moment that difficulty comes, the moment that God's provision doesn't seem to be playing a deep role in your life, we get shaky on our confidence in God's power. Just so you know, everybody else who was standing up on the hillside had confidence in God's power that was rooted in God's provision, which is why when David showed up and said, I'm going to go, and they said, no, you can't go. And he said, but I got to go. And and they said, no, you can't go. And David said, well, I'm going to go. You might as well get out of my way. That's why they said, well, here, take this armor. Take these, take these swords, take this shield, take this, this, this spear, take this stuff, take this helmet, because these things will protect you. Confidence in provision rather than confidence in a promise. And you and I do the exact same thing all the time. God, as long as you're working it out, God, as long as you're taking care of things, God, as long as I've still got this house and that house, God, as long as I've still got this job and that job, God, as long as my family's safe, God, as long as you're doing that, I've got confidence in your power. And we've rooted our confidence in him and his ability to provide for us the way we see fit which is why my generation and the generation after mine is so cynical. Because guess what? We live in a fallen, broken, sinful world that lets us down over and over and over again. And because it lets us down, we have a lack of confidence in God's power in our life. And here's what I want us to do collectively together this morning. I want us to shift our confidence from being rooted in God's provision to being rooted in God's promise. Because whether you realize it or not, God has made a promise to you this morning. And no matter what you face, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be, no matter how high the waters may rise, no matter how big the mountain seems to be, you can have Confidence, knowing that that won't be the thing that takes you out because God has promised something more for you. If you've got your Bibles, that promise is found in the book of Romans. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So if you're trying to find it, there you go. I try to help you out. Romans chapter eight, picking it up in verse 37. Paul is referencing in chapter 8 all the difficulties and all the struggles and all the things that will come against us in this life. And then he says this in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love how he's, he's basically putting on display through the power of words exactly what we saw take place in the story of David and Goliath. We, like David, are more than conquerors, not because of who we are, not because of our strength, not because of our skill or ability, but because of him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news for you and for me. And we can clap for that. We can say amen to that. We can get excited about that. But here's what we've got to do beyond clapping and beyond amening. We got to go live in that. We got to go live that out. 
Because it's one thing for, for, for Samuel to come and anoint David. And David saying, I'm going to be king. I'm going to be king. Amen. I'm going to be king. Nothing's going to separate me from being king. Goliath, I don't think so. Y'all can deal with that. It's a whole nother thing to walk in confidence, see the giants that you're facing and continue to walk in confidence because your confidence in God's power is not rooted in God's provision. It's rooted in God's promise over your life. That's a whole different gamut. That's a whole different thing. And so I wanna challenge you this morning to change your line of thinking from focusing on God's provision in your life and instead focus on God's promise in your life because God says that nothing is going to separate you from his love. Nothing is going to separate you from his presence. Nothing is going to separate you from him and you living life in fellowship together. Why? Because what afforded you that right wasn't your ability, your power, or the lack of giants. What afforded you that right was the shed blood of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago which gives you and me access to God and nobody's undoing what Jesus has already done because Jesus has already shed his blood, died on the cross, rose from the dead, conquered death, hell, and the grave and nothing you face in this life will separate you from his love. Nothing. And I don't know how difficult the circumstances are that you walked in here with this morning. I don't know how painful the circumstances you walked in here with this morning, but I want you to know that God made a promise to you and he's never once failed on his promises. And no matter how dark it may seem right now, God's promise is still good. He is still God. He's still on the throne. He's still in control and nothing will separate you from him. No matter how bad it may seem physically, no matter how bad it may seem financially, no matter how bad it may seem relationally, God says nothing's separating you and me. And I'm bigger than all of that. Lean on me. Trust in me. Put your confidence in me. And I will see you through. Now, the question becomes, but, but what about the people who don't? What about the early disciples? Guys like Peter who got hung upside down on a cross. What about the disciples who were boiled in oil? What about the people who said, yes, I'm a Christian, and then a bullet went through their head this week? What about that? That's why Jesus didn't go through just physical poverty and relational poverty and emotional poverty so that he could feel what you feel and bear your burdens. But he went to the cross. He gave it all so that even if this life ends, you can be confident in God's power that he will see you through to the next one. And there's power in that. There's hope in that, knowing that his power is greater than even the worst of tragedies because it sees us through all of them. Renew your confidence, not in his provision, but in this promise that nothing will separate you from his love. And my hope throughout the course of this series is that you walk out 
with your preconceived notions of these Goliaths in your life falling to the ground, not because they're not big and not because you're powerful, but because he's powerful and your confidence is in him. Somebody said, what do you hope to accomplish out of this series? I hope that people walk out encouraged, knowing that they serve a God who's bigger than their circumstances and he will see them through. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you can make that decision before you leave this place today. So by all means, let us know that you want to start a relationship with God by checking that box on that connection card. Drop it in that box on the way out, and we'll get in contact with you this week and help walk you through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I love you, and I thank you for who you are in our lives. I thank you for the confidence you give us, for the power that you give us, for the strength that you give us, not based on everything going the way we want it to go, but by the promise that you've made to us that you'll be with us every step of the way, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us, and nothing can separate us from you. God, you are good. And we thank you for your goodness, even in the midst of our difficulty and pain. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.